0: It was one of those moments where I knew I was witnessing something that meant something, and I knew it was important, but I didn't know what it meant. So I filed it away in the back of my head for when the Lord would eventually reveal its meaning. And it would take almost a decade before I would actually understand at least one dimension of what I saw. And what I saw was this. It was about late 2011, early 2012. It was about a year and a half after the earthquakes had hit Haiti. And I had the privilege of um, being in mission there and serving a community of persons who'd been displaced by the earthquake and were living in a mountainous, dry area in Haiti and just working to do whatever the church there needed, whatever the community needed there. And it was late in the afternoon, probably 3.30, 4 or so, hot, sweaty, dusty tired couldn't get way to get back home for that day take a shower have a meal and go to sleep um but as I was just taking that moment to find my sanity practice the presence of the Lord come back to come back to a sense of peace I was just looking out and I noticed how um it was always the eight or nine ten year old girls who would Hold the babies and cradle them on their hip and walk around with them and play with them and delight with them and cool and and you know play all these games and be very tender with them. And oftentimes the mothers themselves were um, a little bit cold or calloused or just rough with the babies and rough in general. Um, they didn't have that tenderness, um, and not that anyone would blame them for it. And they'd probably been so through so much even before the earthquake, um, I wouldn't blame them. But nonetheless, it was kind of um, very strange to see that the mothers themselves didn't have this motherly tenderness, but these little girls did who were eight or nine, ten or 11. And the other reason why it stood out to me was also because I realized that until then, I had just taken it for granted that there are stages in life. First, you're a daughter, and then you become a spouse, a wife, um, someone's bride, and in that love, you conceive a child and you become a mother. How else would life work? I wasn't aware that there were other options or why. uh, what other way of looking at life would be. But here I was seeing these eight or nine-year-old girls who obviously didn't have um, their fathers in their life. Um, Their mothers had gone through so much and wouldn't be able to be present to them the way that we picture mothers being present to children. So they didn't have the the joy and the um the i think basic need of being a daughter, and then definitely hadn't entered into uh, a stage in life where they were dating or actively um in sexual relationships or anything like that, so the spousal dimension hadn't also kicked in yet uh, but here they were um being very motherly and and giving. Uh, giving this motherly tenderness to the children. Um, so that kind of just made me realize how I had always assumed that there's a chronology to things that was natural. And uh, these little girls were very naturally motherly, and that uh, knocked at my understanding of, of this. Well, fast forward a few years ago, um, it was just in the YouTube hole going to one interesting topic to another probably not much of which was useful but I did come across this video from Vice about the history of monogamy and it was interesting and one of those pieces where you know you wonder if they're trying to normalize polygamy or what they're trying to do or polyamory or whatever it's called Um, but but nonetheless it was interesting I wouldn't go around recommending it to young people to go and watch it or something like that but still interesting. And basically, what it was talking about was how um, monogamy is kind of a blip in the radar of human history. Um, And polygamy is actually much more, um, much more normal and much more instinctually ordinary. And, um, and it's only uh, recent that, you know, we, we believe in this whole concept of one person that you fall in love with for the rest of your life. And, are dedicated to them. And not that we need to stop doing it, but just to realize that it's not, uh, monogamy isn't really natural the way that we understand it. So at first, of course, I was turned off by the video. It's just like, ah, like another bunch of propaganda and how stupid and all this other stuff. But later on, as I was meandering around um, the neighborhood, going on a walk or something like that, I was thinking about how Um, they're not wrong, actually. And what they were trying to say doesn't knock against what the church teaches, um, and actually kind of proves and helps us understand ourselves more deeply in a way that um, sometimes we take for granted. So it can be easy to think of spousal as something that's understood that we don't need to talk about or think about. Um, let's have married people do what they need to do behind closed doors. We don't need to hear about it. So people, you know, there's no reason for you to talk about it. So whatever. And then let's all just move on. And, you know, God, Jesus Christ revealed God, the father as our heavenly father. So we are the children and we're called to imitate God, the father. So we can just become parents in that sense and um and just give and be good disciples and move on. This whole spousal thing is problematic. The whole sexual area is problematic. Um more problems than than anything helps. So let's just let's just leave it out. Um and that was kind of how I thought and felt about the whole uh the whole area. I didn't want to deal with it too much for uh several years of uh my life in discipleship but over time of course I came to realize no, it's not something we can just bypass. For starters, Christ himself calls um, himself bridegroom. He doesn't call himself many lofty things, and um, he he moves away from a lot of terms, but he doesn't call himself many things, but he does call himself bridegroom. So that's very interesting because uh, the bridegroom is revealed to us before. Um, the Heavenly Father is revealed to us as our Father. And in fact, only through the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, do we um, come to receive the Heavenly Father as our own Father and become temples of the Holy Spirit. So chronologically, interestingly, um, spousals coming in first in in a strange way and opening us up to the dimension of being children and becoming temples of the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of unique how how all that's happening. But if we look a little bit more deeply into it, um, we can agree with that weird vice video. um, Because even the patriarchs from Abraham, Jacob, Isaac had multiple wives and it wasn't attributed as um, sins to them that they had multiple wives. It was just understood that that's how it would be and that's how it worked and um, it seemed like no one was upset about it even the women seemed okay with it and it's only much later that we find this um this insistence of one man and one woman in holy matrimony and um to the point where we're horrified if um if there's any cheating or anything like that as we as we rightly should be um but i think what that video goes to show um is that Spousal love, the way that Christ has revealed to us and the way that the church reveals to us is actually incredible and powerful and unique and novel in a way that uh, just given our socio-historical context, we might just take for granted Uh, that actually both in faith history and human history, this wasn't the case. And even instinctually, um, we might be surprised that this is not what our animal instincts lead us to. Um, that this understanding of spousal love and covenantal relationship between one man and one woman is actually very unique um, and a radical call. Um, so this whole spousal aspect is incredible, and I think it can help us to understand how all, all the vocations in the church, all three, um, if we can call it that, of um, sacramental marriage, um, consecrated life, priesthood, all point to marriage, one man, one woman, in a unique way, uh, covenantally for the rest of eternity in an exclusive, final manner. Um, And then we realize that even sacramental marriage, which we take to be the baseline and we consider celibacy for the kingdom as this radical call, which it is, but actually even sacramental marriage, authentically lived out, is actually incredibly... um, Radical in a pagan context and more and more today uh, we're we're going into that pagan context so we're about to we're about to find out but we'll leave all those details behind um, and take a look a little bit more into why um, spousal is important uh, the way that we understand from Ephesians chapter five. And um, incidentally, I'd been meaning to put these thoughts together, but I just didn't get a chance and didn't feel fully motivated. But today, um, this Sunday, I believe it's the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, um, we got to hear these beautiful readings of Joshua chapter 24, uh, where Joshua is asking the people, you know, do you want to serve the Lord or not? But as for me and my house, we will be serving the Lord. Uh, But you have to choose whether you want to or not. Then we move on swiftly to Ephesians chapter five, um, this incredibly beautiful spousal Magna Carta for all the vocations um, where um, St. Paul is talking about how husbands should love their wives the way Christ has loved the church and vice versa, and and really setting up um, Christ's love for the church as the prototype for Christian marriage, and of course also for the consecrated vocations as well. And then finally, we go to John chapter 6, where the Lord lays out uh, the outpouring of his love in the Eucharist, um, his very self, um, his final sacrifice, how he is loving the church. And then ask, um, ask Peter and the disciples, you know, do you, is this where you want to leave? Do you want to leave me now? And Peter, of course, says those beautiful words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And of course, there's many ways to read this, but I think one thread that we can draw out from this is this deeply beautiful and spousal thread. And allow me to go through these three readings to show why this spousal element is so important. Uh, because so many times I think even in the spiritual life, we can be tempted to stay at the level of discipleship and a master-disciple kind of relationship with Jesus Christ um, maybe friends if we're lucky um and then definitely taking Heavenly Father as our Father, so finding ourselves as children of God, which is wonderful, and then if we have some charismatic roots or um some charismatic strains, then maybe just the infilling of the Holy Spirit and recognizing ourselves as temple of the Holy Spirit, and then call it a day. The whole area of sexuality just seems so messy um. Brings in more problems than not. So maybe married people should do what they need to do behind closed doors. Don't talk to the rest of the world about it. And celibates, well, you gave all that up. So um, so just say no and call it a day. So it can be very easy to want to cut that part of things out um, just for the sake of simplicity and streamlining our lives. And it might seem like our lives would just be easier if we didn't have to deal with it. But it's interesting because Jesus doesn't call himself too many things. But one of the things he does call himself, one of the titles he gives himself is the bridegroom, um, where he's not embarrassed. And like the Vice article was talking about, it's a very new type of spousal relationship that we wouldn't have come to know by our nature. It was talking about how among all the um, all the animal kingdom, it's just very strange to see this um, this kind of a monogamous um, relationship so it's not coming out of instinct it's coming out of a choice and a freedom and understanding and a development which is why the the whole thing with um, Joshua just comes into a different light where listen you have to choose you have the freedom to go your own way or you have the freedom to belong to this people you have the freedom to either serve this God or not this God. But if you serve this God, you can't serve anyone else. You can't have multiple gods. But there are other gods who would allow the worship of other gods. But this God demands exclusive worship. And if you say yes, you have to be under his banner. And of course, Jesus Christ is also doing the same with his disciples. He's basically saying, are you in or are you out? Are you part of my body or are you not? Are you in a spousal relationship or are you not? You don't have to be. You don't become a spouse just by nature. Um, You have to choose it in your freedom. And you may choose not to. And in fact, much of our instincts will go against spousal love, will go against this thing that we choose through our experience, through our understanding, through our higher call. And then, of course, with Um, Ephesians, we see this whole other dimension of redemptive love where Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her. And he cleanses her from all defilement and presents her to himself as a spotless bride. So Christ is giving this incredible um, love to the church um, at this incredible cost and this price of um, the ultimate suffering of dying for her. And In her place, too, she's also um, doing something very specific. She's allowing herself to be cleansed. She's allowing herself to be purified and be made new. She's allowing herself to be presented to him. She's allowing herself to be tied to him for the rest uh, of her existence for all of eternity. Um, So there's this mutual intense exchange happening. And then, of course, we see in the Eucharist in John chapter 6, Um, this very clear way of seeing it. So what this altogether shows us is how, in one sense, it can be very easy to bypass spousal love. And it would really be because, um, as any married couple will tell you, or any priest or consecrated person or religious person would tell you, it's very hard to genuinely engage in Spousal love, even if you are married, even if you are vowed, even if you are consecrated, it can be very easy um, to either want to just remain a child of God um, or a child of your parents or parental figures. Um, and it can also be weirdly easy to be very service-oriented, to give of yourself. Uh, we know lots of atheist people who are um, amazingly dedicated to the cause of the poor And in fact, those little girls in Haiti also show us even as early as the age of eight or nine, we can be moved by the needs of those who are weaker than us and give ourselves. So the Christian is called to be a child of God, of course. The Christian is called to serve, of course. Uh, But there's this very powerful thing happening between these two identities of daughter and mother. Um, or a uh, son and father, uh, this passing through of a spousal relationship, a relationship that's not coming by instinct, that's not often supported by instinct. In fact, instincts will fight against it. And why is that? It's because you have to choose the other person. You have to choose to be bound by them. You have to relate to them equally. Uh, you have to die to yourself And you have to die for that person constantly. And of course, um, a beautiful analogy of um, the marital bond is also um, deep friendships that we experience. And Thomas Aquinas talks about how marriage is the greatest of all friendships, uh, because it's this deep goodwill for one another. And in that light, we can also see how all three vocations are incredibly radical. We tend to think of Uh, The celibate vocations, of course, is very radical, which they are. But marriage is incredibly radical as well because it's this choosing of uh, this friendship um, that we don't get to hide behind um, simple power structures. It can be easy, and we all know people who uh, relate to other people um, very easily who are in positions of authority. They know exactly how to be obedient. Um, and nice to people who uh, they're under. And we also know people who are very comfortable with guiding other people who are younger um, in in a relationship where the power structure is very clearly defined. But it can be so challenging in friendships where um, there isn't this clear power structure of who's over who. So this image of um, marriage can also be an image of friendship, can also be Um, an image of wrestling. So uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel comes to mind where it's not a contentious fighting in wanting to destroy the other or something like that, but it's in deeply engaging where we don't have to engage, where we could spend our time being a child or being a parent instead, but actually engaging with someone who's an equal and trying to sort through things And we might ourselves be this way or we might know lots of people this way who um, don't know how to form friendships, don't know how to remain in deep friendships, don't know how to deepen in friendships because it can uh, just get very confusing. But it's actually, I think, the Lord's desire to engage with us in this way. All through the Gospels, we hear Jesus Christ saying, I no longer call you slaves, uh, but I call you my friends. For a slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have told you all that I'm doing. Um, so he's repeating this um, this whole thing about, um, I'm not going to call you a slave. I'm going to call you a friend. And that friendship being an analogy, of course, for this beautiful spousal relationship where God doesn't just want to engage with us um, in a clear power structure of being over us as father uh, or over us as creator, which he rightly is, but he also wants to come closer. Um, I forget which church father, but he also talks about how Jesus Christ is the marriage between God and man, that in him, just like where the ocean meets the earth, um, we see uh, we see this marriage, this friendship between humanity and God, uh, this beautiful reconciliation between the two and we are called to imitate this, and he has married us. He has made church his bride um, to contend with. So I'm reminded of this um, all five times when I have to pray the breviary, and I'd much rather be plugging away at something, um, or sleeping, or doing something stupid, Um, mostly just especially when I'm being productive. I hate having to do the daytime prayer or having to remind myself to do the evening prayer. But I'm also so grateful for it because it reminds me that I cannot be um, the kind of mother that I'm called to be. I can be a mother instinctually like those eight or nine year old girls. Um, But that's not the kind of motherhood that God has called me to, that God has called me to a type of motherhood that's filtered through friendship with Jesus Christ, espousal love with Jesus contending with him, fighting with him, loving him, uh, desiring um, whatever he desires, allowing him to cleanse me, allowing him to purify me, allowing him to see me as I am. And it is very easy to step aside from that monogamous, personal, perfect covenant that will last forever and just want to be a child of God and just want to raise children, but that God actually desires to contend with me every day at Mass at holy hour, five times of the liturgy of the hours or other times of prayer or in different friendships that again and again, um, God's teaching me again and again um, to not just relate to him through a power structure, to not make it so easy as to um, just tell him what I need as a little kid and move on with my day or become an executor of his mercy by becoming a mother to everybody that I will always need to come close to him on the cross, to receive him as my bridegroom, to let him cleanse me from my impurities. And it can be very difficult, as um, even the happiest married couples will tell us. um, There's something very frightening about standing as yourself before someone who's your equal and letting them see you as you are, and letting yourself see them as they are, and then committing to that relationship, committing to contending with each other. And from that um, mutual help, with from that mutual chiseling, from that mutual refinement, um, this new outpouring of motherhood or fatherhood that is so incredibly different than what would come from our instincts. And even our sense of um, who we are as daughters and sons of God will be very much conditioned by it, that we actually cannot receive the Heavenly Father's love for us as children without actually passing by um, Jesus' love for us as spouse, whether or not we'd call it that. So here's this hidden gem of this um, beautiful relationship uh, that God is calling us to. First and foremost, with himself, a new lens to see all the vocations um, but also to enter in, in a new way, not to um, hide away from becoming spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers or uh, or biological fathers, biological mothers, uh, but that this um, this fatherhood or motherhood that could just be from instinct for it to be purified um, and made holy and be elevated through this powerful spousal relationship that is chosen in freedom and lived out by dying to oneself and dying for the other is such a gift. So thanks be to God for that, and may we not shy away from it. Jesus Christ, Divine Bridegroom, we want to thank you for the gift of your love, for coming and marrying us so beautifully, so powerfully, um, with having eyes Uh, just for me, just for the church, for beholding us. And we who are orphaned and bastards and pagans and all this other stuff, Lord, you have introduced your own father to us. You've given us your own home. You've given us your own family. And you've elevated us to a new dignity um, that fulfilled the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God. And as elevated us to this place of being wanted as your friend, uh, being desired as your friend. And thank you, Lord, for this surprising gift of presenting yourself as a friend to us and for wanting us to engage with you in this way um, so that when we do offer service to others, when we do become efficient and Uh, using all of our gifts and all this stuff for the sake of others, for the sake of the kingdom. It wouldn't just be this frantic, um, young person, uh, spinster, bachelor energy that we're pouring out, but it's something that's really deeply filtered through a beautiful, powerful, refining um, spousal relationship. Jesus, I want to ask you for forgiveness for the times where I've sidestepped your desire for me and sidestepped uh, my identity as your spouse and wanted to be a career woman or wanted to be efficient or wanted to focus more on the kids than our relationship. And I ask Lord that you'd bless me and bless the church to enter more deeply into the mystery of spousal love and to not be afraid and to not be ashamed of this great gift. Amen.